Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and today's episode is all about medical racism. I can't wait to dig into the conversation with our guests today, but before we do, we are going to take a breath. We're going to breathe because it's our opportunity to remind us to ground ourselves and to center ourselves and to be prepared to open up fully to the discussion today so that we can learn something to new as well as maintain our focus and maintain our calmness and our peace throughout the discussion. So if you would just take a deep breath in to tune in to that which gives you life. Breathe in and breathe out and know that you are wrapped in divine love. You are encased in divine wisdom and everything that you need, you already have. Take a deep breath in and exhale it and connect with your sacred source. Notice your breathing, your thoughts, your energy. Breathe in the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity. You carry within you the power to heal and the power to dismantle racism. Breathe in and out, acknowledging that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take another deep breath in and sigh it out. Yes. So today we are going to address medical racism and what it is and how we can uh, combat it. I can tell you from my own personal experiences, there have been times that I've gone into my doctor and wondered whether they, they got me as a person of color. But in particular, there's one incident that stands out. And that was last year when I went to a protest and I went in to talk with my doctor shortly thereafter. And my doctor was very upset that I had been out during COVID to a protest. And when I tried very much to explain to the doctor why I had gone out to the, co-test, the protest, excuse me, they didn't want to hear anything about it. In their minds, it was too dangerous for me to be out there because of COVID. And their words to me when I said, Well, I'm in two pandemics, one I've been in all my life, and that's the pandemic of racism. And their response was, well, I don't get into that politics. They didn't understand that the very thing that they were diagnosing me for that day, that racism most likely contributed to the diagnosis. What they saw is that the number of Black people or African-Americans who typically had that diagnosis, but didn't understand the contributing factors to it. Since the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless of other individuals, the American Public Health Association and some other leading medical organizations have declared racism a public health crisis. We've even heard on this show conversations about racial battle fatigue. So we know that there is a public health crisis going on with those who experience racism. And so as a result of that, those in medical education are beginning to look at the ways in which they train medical professionals, the ways in which they teach them about inequities. And so my guest today, Dr. Asia McCleary-Gaddy, will discuss what she coins the three C's of medical education, clinical skill, curriculum, and cognition. 
But before we get into that, I want to just let you know that Dr. McCleary Gaddy serves as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at UT Health and is an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry for McGovern Medical School. She has an extensive background, but I want to also let you know that she is the inaugural Director of Diversity and Equity for Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, and she helped to launch the institution's high school pipeline pathway program. As I said, she has an extensive background, which we will not get into today because I really want to hear all of what she has to say about these three C's, and she'll tell you a little bit more about how she landed in this place to begin with. But I'd like to welcome to the show today, Dr. McCleary Gaddy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me here. I am super, super excited, and I want to hear about the three C's, but before jumping into that, because I am an individual that believes that we connect with uh, our higher source and we connect with one another. Mm-hmm. I always start the show by asking people what grounds you, whether it's a sacred source that you have, a practice mm-hmm. that you have. This work, I'm sure that you do on training individuals around racial equity is not an easy uh you know, row to hoe, as we would say. Down <laughs> south. Um, but what grounds you? What 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 gives you energy and focus to do this work? Um, I truly feel like I'm living in my purpose by doing this work. Uh, when I reflect on my time just growing up and the things that I were a part of, I was a part of pathway pipeline programs. Naturally, the things that I was interested in were racial issues and even intra-racial issues. And so when I look back on my path from K through 12 to undergrad, even to my graduate degrees, I realized these are the things that I'm passionate about, what I'm naturally drawn to. Now, like you said, this work can be difficult. Racial battle fatigue is extremely difficult, especially in corporate or business settings. And so outside of these things, I pray And honestly, I watch a lot of reality TV, something to just completely lose my mind, get into somebody else's life and story and just kick back. And so I'm very big on work-life balance. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, so grounding for you is, is a sacred practice of prayer, but also you do your junk TV too as well. And that sometimes we all need to get away from something because I know that In your work and in the past, you have done a lot of work because you are an experimental social psychologist. That's what you have your PhD in. And so you've done a lot of research. So I imagine that you're always reading some type of journal. You're always looking at what the data is, particularly around uh, racial inequities and health disparities. So I do understand the need to like I don't want to look at anything else anymore. So talk to us a little bit then. You mentioned that, you know, you were involved in some of these programs. So what was it for you that inspired you to say, yes, I'm going to answer the calling because a lot of us get a calling to do (laughs) something and we decide, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, What inspired you though to say yes? Um. It's just this idea of giving back. And so I truly believe that the only reason I am here in this position today, talking with you today, is because individuals answered the call, saw potential in me, and invested in that potential. And so in my position now as Director of Diversity and Inclusion, I have the opportunity to do the same, whether it's creating programs for our underrepresented students to get them interested in medicine or health as a whole, if it's talking with our faculty members, giving them the tools to teach our students effectively, or even doing a little patient outreach, community outreach, so that they're better prepared and feel like they're making a change in their own health, I feel like I'm doing my job. I feel like I'm living in my purpose, and I feel like I am doing myself justice. Yes, yes. So it's interesting because, you know, you talked about a program to get our young people 
interested in becoming, whether it, it be a medical doctor or a psychologist like both you and I are, how do you inspire a group of young people who, who may or may not feel hope when they look around and they see all that is going on in terms of racism in this country? And then particularly if they come from areas that perhaps where um, they may be impoverished or may not have the resources as other folks. How do you inspire those individuals to give them hope to say, there is an opportunity out here for you? I feel that in my experience, most of the students that I come encounter with, they want to help. And I say, help means a lot of things to different people. How do you want to help? And so there is this like initial interest in that, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a psychologist, I want to be a doctor, but then there's those kind of invisible blocks, barriers of, I don't have the money, I don't have anyone in my family, I don't know the next step, and that's where I come in to say, you can do this, here is how, these are your next steps, that's what these programs do. The next thing is that I think historically medicine has been seen as is heavy biology, heavy genetics, chemistry, and it still is, very much still is, However, now that we're moving into the time of inequities, racial disparities, and health inequities as a whole, it connects with the students, because specifically our underrepresented students, because this is the things that they are living. And so it's easy to talk about things that you know, that you live, that you see every day. And so it increases their self-efficacy, their confidence in what they're talking about when it comes to health. And so mm -hmm. that's step one, to understand that you can do this, you are already doing this, and here's your next step. Mm, that's beautiful because it sounds like you you lay it out for them and you paint a different picture than they might already have. And so that's really, really wonderful. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the health disparities a little bit later, but I'm going to uh, invite us to get into the three C's. But of course, we have to take a break already. So when we come back, I really want you to begin your, your discussion around the clinical curriculum or wherever you choose to on the three sure. C's. Just really lay that out for us, how medical professionals can be better trained in order to look at the racial inequities. And so we will be right back. I am your host of Dismantle Racism, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with Dismantle 
Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I'm talking with Dr. McCleary Gaddy, and today we're talking about medical racism. Before the break, um, I mentioned that you have three C's that, that, that you um, very much uh, want to talk about in terms of medical racism, clinical skill, curriculum, and cognition. So I'm going to invite you just to share with us uh, uh, what you mean by those three things. Uh, surely. And so um, after the association, well, American Public Health Association cried out that racism is a public health crisis, it really had medical institutions looking inward. And in my job as director of diversity, I think my job focuses on these three main topics, right? Cognition, clinical skill, and then of course your curriculum. So if I were to break into those, speaking about cognition, there has been this increase in conversation about implicit bias, how your unconscious thoughts can have an effect on your conscious behavior. And it's a, a great conversation, origins in social psychology, so I know it well, but specifically its impact on medicine, we spoke about how, what we think about our African-American or Black patients. Now, consciously, people say, I have no difference between my patients. I'm just treating them based on what they show. However, through different mechanisms where we can measure your unconscious thoughts, we find otherwise. There is a study that was conducted in 2016 by Hoffman and colleagues, where she asked medical students, medical students who are actually in school, about biological differences between Blacks and whites. They are untrue. So for example, one of them was like, Blacks age more slowly than whites, okay? Completely untrue. However, when she asked that of first years, about 30% of first year medical students believe that to be true. By second year, it raised to 33%. And by fourth year, it was at 50%. And so this study really raised eyebrows, began just a greater conversation because this is not something we explicitly teach. We do not teach that Blacks age more slowly than whites, but we see that our students actually believe this to, to be true. And so if you believe this to be true, how does this affect the way you interact with your patient? Mm. And we see that across a, a bunch of other um, different untrue biological differences there. We also see that there's some literature about how not only white Americans, but a, a lot of us dehumanize African-Americans. There's this thing called superhumanization where social scientists have found that people believe that African-Americans have superhuman capabilities. And so again, in this study, they showed that African-Americans or white people believe that African-Americans have less pain or feel less pain, are less likely to be hungry, right? Suppress hunger, suppress thirst. And we see that that was replicated with nursing students and registered nurses as well. So this idea of African-Americans are not these human bodies. And so when we talk about some of the health inequities that we see, such as African-American mothers are more likely to die in childbirth. And we see that African-Americans are less likely to receive pain medication compared to their white counterparts. We go back to see that our white American physicians and sometimes our physicians of Asian backgrounds as well do not believe that African Americans actually feel pain to the same degree. So I just need I just need us to pause for one second. That's a lot. That's heavy. And actually, I think what it does to our listeners out there for for many uh, people of color who are listening to this, it confirms what we already know. Because the truth is, when we go into the hospitals, there are often times that it takes longer for doctors to diagnose our pain. And I was sharing with you right before the show an incident of a woman that I know who went to the emergency room and crying about being in pain. And the doctor actually just totally disregarded what she had to say and really thought she was there just to seek drugs. Yes. And, and I really want our audience to understand the deep history that is involved in this. These are the ways in which we've been dehumanized for years. And that's why we could be beaten and brutalized and shot because we have super strength, superpower, and we are actually not human. So I, I just needed us to breathe on that for a minute and also to tie it in a bit to the lived 
experiences when you talk about uh, these implicit biases, they show up everywhere. But continue with, with more of your data that you're sharing. Oh, yes, uh, for sure. I mean, when you mentioned about the histories, it kind of is like a perfect segue into like our second C, if I can take it there. Um, and that's on the clinical skills. And so when you have a medical student, a health student, they come into the school and they learn about the different things that they need to do, right? The skills that they have to practice for their patients. And what we have realized over the past couple of years, or I should say what has gained greater attention in the next last couple of years is this thing called racial ethnic adjustments. And so, for example, we have spirometry, which measures your capacity to breathe in and out, right? Very important for asthma, has gained a lot of attention due to COVID-19. And with spirometry, you have a spirometer, which measures the actual two. But when you get measured with a spirometer, an ethnic adjustment is placed on that. And that ethnic adjustment is that if you are African-American, you are assumed to have a 10 to 15% smaller lung capacity. And if you are Asian-American, you are assumed to have a 4 to 6% less capacity compared to your white counterparts. Now, this is important because this is what us in the field say that you are trying to biologize race. Race mm -hmm. is a social construct. There is no biology behind it. But when you make these assumptions and place it or pair it with a clinical skill, you now make it seem that race has a biological um, start. And so when we talk about COVID-19 and breathing issues, a lot of our African-American patients may be misdiagnosed or later diagnosed because of this assumption. Mm. Another example that has gained a lot of traction. Before, here, you, before you go to your other examples, so just in terms of clarity then, the, that assumption is made that their breathing capacity, well, I guess I want to know is why is that assumption made that there's a difference in the breathing? So this is all based on history, right? So from the early, oh, late, I should say 1700s, we find documentation of U.S. President Thomas Jefferson stating that there is a difference between his slaves and his white slave owners. And as time goes on, we see uh, eugenicists such as Cartwright and others trying to find this difference between African-American lung capacity and white capacity. And over the years, this has just become clinical skill. This is what we know to be true. Mm -hmm. And we so see that- so if one believes that we have, uh, I forget the, the numbers that you quoted, but that we have a different lung capacity, then we're not treated as quickly. Correct. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and for, uh, especially I'm here in Houston, Texas, uh, something that has gained a lot of traction just in July, 2021 was the NFL and their race norming. Um, I'm not sure if you all had heard of that, but it was about the settlement for concussion-related injuries. And what they found is that Black players were automatically assumed to have started with a lower cognitive function than white players. And so when it came down to the settlement, and there was a white player and a Black player who received the same score in cognitive function, the white player is more likely to receive the settlement because they started at a higher rate and moved lower versus the assumption that African-Americans started lower, so their drop is not as steep. So when you say cognitive functioning, because as a psychologist, I think about that in a couple of different ways. I think about it as we measure cognitions for IQ tests, for instance, or are you talking about a medical diagnosis of a loss of cognitive abilities? Why would there be a difference? Because I'm also, it just took me back to the bell curve the, the, yeah. the years ago. So is that what you're referring to? A hundred percent. So for the NFL players is loss of cognitive function. So memory, um, IQ test, uh, recognition, things of that nature, all uh, illnesses related to concussions. Mm. But what you are saying is, is because that person of color, let's say an African-American, they are assuming that they already start out with a lower, At a lower level. So therefore they will not get as much money because you already started out at 90 At a lower to hundred. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. That's chilling. 
It is. And to hear that it's still practiced today uh, is kind of uh, scary. I think we have these conversations now, um, again, due to what happened, the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and just greater um, visibility. But I think for our medical students specifically, what it does is raise awareness of just because it is taught to you doesn't mean this is a perfect science. And to question what is taught to you, right? Still have that intellectual curiosity of, well, why do we do it this way? Is there a better way to do that? Mm. So those are some of the conversations. So when you're training your students, then uh, you have to do a lot of teaching about history with where this comes from in the first place. Because if you're talking about implicit biases, most of us are unconscious. That's what it is, right? We're unconscious about what we do. And then when we're told something different, you almost have to prove it to us like, no, no. So how do you go about training these students to show up differently? You know, that is the challenge. I will say the current classes of medical students have this natural interest in social justice, humanities, um, the social sciences. And so I would say the majority of them come in with a little bit of base understanding. The issue is, is with our faculty training. I believe in my personal experience that our faculty do believe that racism is something we need to teach. I understand that it's insidious within our practice, but they're also very honest to say, I didn't learn about racism in medical school. I don't know how to teach it. I didn't take it in my undergrad. I was a chemistry major. And so we see this issue of our students kind of knowing a little bit more than our faculty members and our faculty members being eager to learn about this. But now there's a dearth of individuals who can teach it. I'm only one person. We have thousands of faculty who are teaching. How do I do this effectively? And again, it's not a one-time, one-hour, this is the history of America, but this is a series of things. Mm. And so I think that's one of the current conversations that is happening in the medical field as a whole. Mm. That's absolutely wonderful that the conversation is taking place, but I'm thinking back on just the data that you've quoted to us in, in the last 10, 15 minutes on the show. And why aren't students reading about this, the, the same data that you're reading about. I mean, as a professor, when I teach my students, I, and that's in psychology and human development, I talk to them about how babies learn to see color very early, but also by the time kids are in elementary school, if a Black child falls on the playground, they think that child is okay. And a white child, if they fall on the playground, they gather around them, they hug them. Are you okay? Are you okay? So it starts really early. So it seems like there's a lot of work to be done into teaching people how, how they are socialized into thinking that our experiences medically are just very different than their own. So you do have your work cut out for you. We're going to be right back though, to talk a little bit more about some of the things that you see in terms of racial inequities. I so appreciate some of the data that you're giving us because it helps our audience to become aware and to open up and to really see how the lived experience of uh, African-Americans and other people of color is very different than white Americans. So we will be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. 
On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Dr. McCleary Gaddy, and we are talking about medical racism. And before the break, Doc, you really were talking about some of the racial inequities that are uh, health inequities that exist for people of color, but also some of the ways in which our medical practitioners are either unaware of those things or do not take even those inequities into consideration when treating us. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about uh, just health disparities in general. What are some health disparities that you have noticed? And then maybe you could get into a little bit some of the social determinants of health. So just take it away. Yeah, 100%. Um, In regards to health disparities, I think about something that's often called of African-Americans are more likely to have asthma, right? That's something that is taught in medical school. African-Americans are more likely to have hypertension. African-Americans are more likely to have diabetes. But what we are trying to teach within our medical curriculums is about the social determinants of health, right? Race is a social construct. So it's not a matter of there's some biology or genetic factor that says that if you are African-American, you are at a higher risk of asthma, but there is something else going on, right? There are social factors Mm. that are at play that affect our health. And so, for example, here in Houston, Texas, there is the historical fifth ward, which is a historical African-American community. We do see that African-Americans are more likely to have asthma. But when we look at the data, we also see that they also live in the fifth ward. And what's in the fifth ward? Metal recycling factories Mm. that are emitting CO2 and other toxic chemicals in the air almost 24-7. And so the individuals who live in the fifth ward are more likely to have asthma than those who live just a few miles up the block in River Oaks Mm. here in Houston. I'm using that as an example. And so it's not a matter that they're Black. If you are Asian, if you are white, and you lived in the fifth ward, you would be at a higher risk for asthma. And Mm. so then we get to the next question of like, okay, well, if we know that if you live in this neighborhood, you are more likely to have asthma, then just move. So now we're looking into socioeconomic status and poverty and how this all intersects. And so it's a greater conversation. And I think sometimes it's an overwhelming conversation for our medical students because they're like, hey, a patient can come in. I see that they have asthma. I prescribe the asthma pump. But in two or three weeks, they're going to come back with that exact same issue because the asthma pump is not addressing 
the reason why the asthma is there. In order for me to truly treat my patient, then I would need to move them out of this neighborhood. I would need to figure out how to get them more money, have them earning more money so that they are able to move. And so in comes the, but I'm just a medical professional. All I know is the health side. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm pushing for is this collaboration. Okay, you only know the medicine. You only know the, the biology. You only know the genetics. However, I'm sure that in your practice, you've met somebody in social work. You've met somebody from all of these, these nonprofit organizations. And even though you don't have the expertise, it is helpful for you to put into contact with your network who does have the expertise. I love it. I love it. Cause you know, I was just sitting there thinking, but if I'm a medical student, I'm going to say, I don't have time to do all of this. So, right. so what you're charging your medical students to do is to really uh, have a multidiscipline practice, right? Not just look at the medical uh, components only, but you're also asking them to stretch themselves. But if I'm a doctor and mm-hmm. I'm working 15 hours, Yes. Dr. McCleary Gaddy, how do you expect me to be concerned about that child that lives in the fifth ward? You know, sometimes we're in a hospital and people come in, they're coming in without insurance and all we can do, I mean, there are these complicated issues. All I can do is just treat them until the next time. And you're really telling me as a doctor that you want me to extend myself. Yes. So in our classes, we have some small group lectures and we talk about that, right? The realistic expectations and limitations of your job. On average, a doctor spends at most five minutes with their patients because you have to come see the next. So how am I supposed to do all of this? And so some of our departments within our hospital systems have created like a running list, cell list of if your electricity is off, here are some institutions that you can reach out to who can help you. If your water is off, if you're in a domestic violence situation, it is here. And so now it's not a matter of I have to Google and figure out what is best for this patient, but I can give them the tools for them to now take an advanced and empowered approach in their own health. Mm. I'm just going to make the connection. I cannot follow through with you, but if I can just at least lead you in the right direction, right? Create that path, show you the myriad of options that are out there to help you in your situation, you are empowering your patient to take an active role in their health. I think the other thing, though, that the doctor is doing is showing the patient that they have compassion for them, because oftentimes when people go in to see their doctors, the doctors will often blame them. So let's use something like diabetes, for instance, that you just uh, mentioned earlier on the show. Diabetes, high blood pressure, take either one of them. Often the doctor will blame individuals for their diets for those. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that there isn't a portion of that that's true because we all could eat better. Um, And and so I I, want to say that to begin with. But sometimes I think what doctors don't understand is that they don't understand that in the poorer neighborhoods, particularly black and brown neighborhoods, every other corner has a fast food joint in it. There are no whole foods in those places. They also don't understand that when those individuals go into their grocery stores, they may not even have a major grocery store in their area. But even if they do, I'll I'll use um, if there's a a food chain uh, we have here, something like Stop and Shop, for instance, Mm -hmm. if if you are in certain neighborhoods, the, the vegetables are different in a area that is well-to-do versus an area that is uh, not economically thriving. And so this is no shade on Stop and Shop. I'm not, so let me just make that. I'm just using that as an example because I have heard individuals in the area actually in which I pastor who talk about having to go outside of the neighborhood if they want fresh vegetables. I had a gentleman who wanted to come in and do the study on teaching our young people how to eat better and to do all of that. And I I was all for it because I think community gardening and all of that is Mm -hmm. absolutely great. But the ways in which he was talking about doing this showed that he didn't even have a clear understanding of the limitations 
that happen in our areas and where those parents would have to travel after working one, maybe two, maybe three jobs to go and get that. So in this conversation about training doctors, it is so important for them to get in the mindset of their patients to really be able to identify and to know what their patients are going through on a day-to-day basis, because it will make a difference. Even if the doctor can't do everything, if I know you get me and you understand me and not blame me, right? You can hold me accountable to do what I can do, but there's a space in which we blame individuals that we need to cover. So, so do you all, um, do you talk about the emotional components? Do you talk, do you really talk about racial battle fatigue for, uh, you know, patients who are coming in? So we don't talk about racial battle fatigue specifically, but we do talk about the importance of empathy and the importance of understanding your privilege. And so when you understand your privilege, you understand the things that you're just not thinking about, right? Because you're privileged to not have to think about that. And so that's something new within our curriculum in which we go through this exercise based on race, based on sex, based on nationality, based on religion, for you, for the students to kind of go through this active learning exercise and realize, oh, well, like I, I really never thought about that. Also, we have a lecture that is focused just on the social determinants of health here in Houston so that you can understand your community better. And so when you understand the different communities, what are in those communities, right? So like things that you were referring to, food deserts, food insecurity, things of that nature, you're better able to serve your patients. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our students, because we are a state school, are from Texas, but there are a lot of communities here in Texas. And, you know, it's a very big state. And so we talk about the different things within our communities and also understanding our privilege, Mm. right? Having the conversation. So what's been some of the responses in terms of the doctors that you're training? Do you find them to be open to these conversations? Open to implicit bias because implicit bias is happening unconsciously. Everyone has unconscious bias, even Black people. So it's kind of a safe ground. Privilege, it will get touchy. But I think by the end of the session, people are open to the conversation because you realize Black Americans, Asian Americans, LGBTQ plus folks, we all have some type of privilege. And so it's not you have all and no one has none. Everyone walks in with the privilege. We just need to acknowledge it and work from there. Mm. So we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to go back to something that you said in the beginning. You quoted some data and you talked about the first year of medical school that uh, medical students, there was a 30%, I believe, uh, belief that that who believed that African-Americans didn't experience as much pain. By the second year, it was 33. By the third year, it was 50. I'm very curious why it went up as opposed to down. So if we could talk about that after the break, I would really love it. We will be right back. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. 
As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Dr. McCleary Gaddy. We've had such a wonderful discussion about medical racism in terms of enlightenment. I wish there were no such thing, but, uh, but it's so important for us to be informed. So before the break, I ask you really to explain the data that you mentioned earlier in the show about the increase from first year to third year where medical students believe that uh, black individuals don't experience as much pain. So I'm curious as to why it increased. I would think that the more they learn, the more they would say, hmm, well, we do experience pain. I mean, on the one hand, as a social scientist, I would say that the size, right, the population size of the residents that they interviewed versus the first years that they interviewed were very different. And so if you, they had about like 60 students in first years, but maybe only about 30 students in the second year. So, you know, that can play an effect on your statistics. However, in, in real life, the things that I see and the things that we speak about is that even though it's not explicitly taught, meaning that we do not explicitly say that Blacks age more slowly than whites, students will infer things based on the behavior and the way you treat your patients. And so again, it's the idea of this implicit bias on how your unconscious thoughts can control or affect your conscious behavior. And mm -hmm. so even though I've never said it, but I'm acting in a certain way or I'm treating in a certain way, people will then start to reinforce that false belief. Mm. Actually, so I'm glad that you corrected me. It was the aging and not the pain, even though you spoke earlier about the belief that we don't experience as much pain. So Correct. I, I want to be sure to, to say that, that she did also say that doctors believe <laughs> we don't experience as much pain. And so yes. here's one of the things that happened. That means that we're diagnosed later for certain illnesses. And I remember I had a sister once who worked for Social Security Administration and she had to review cases and she would talk, uh, this was well after she no longer worked for them, but she talked a lot about the horrible cases that she saw, particularly with people of color that the, the it just, um, doctors didn't diagnose them until much later. And so yes. that meant that the result of whatever their illness was, was more devastating. And so that's really critical to understand when you talk about us not feeling the pain. Doctors need to be aware, and I'm so glad you're teaching on implicit biases. But the other thing is when you even talk about us aging more slowly, you know, we all have this, this joke, right? You know, yes. we, we talk about Black don't crack. Right. We, we hear that in our culture. We hear that even I, even my white friends will joke about that yes. as well. And so the, the, the problem with that joke is this, is that there is some data to suggest, and I actually don't know the author of it right now, but I do know that there um, is a, it's a scholarly journal, actually, that speaks to the fact that while we may on the outside look like we're aging more slowly, which is where that belief comes from, that mm -hmm. inside our life expectancy is, is like eight years less than our white counterparts. So it's because, as Jerome Fagan um, said in a, uh, that, that we actually carry more stress. And so oh, yes. the percent of stress that we carry on us impacts us. So if my doctor, when I go into my doctor and I'm talking about the pandemic that I'm living in of racism doesn't get that, my doctor isn't going to understand why there may be some things that are going on in my body that are related to whatever I've taken on 
in my role as a social justice advocate, in my, in my life, is just walking down the street. The mm-hmm. things that I have to consider, whether I wear a hoodie when I'm walking through my yes. neighborhoods or, you know, all the little things I have to think about every day, including whether to keep my doctor. Because, because as a person of color, I think about, well, if you don't get that about me, do I need to change doctors? And then I have to weigh, well, if I change doctors, you've known me for all these years, you have all my history, now I have to go to a different doctor. Mm -hmm. Then who's to say that that doctor is going to get it? Even if I went to a person of color, you know, and where I live, even if there are doctors who are of color here, they can't take every person of color. So these are the complicated things that we have to face day in and day out. I do want to ask you, though, uh, one other question before our our time quickly passes. What do we do as people of color, as black and brown people, when we go into the hospital and we understand that they don't get us necessarily, some doctors, and I'm not talking about every doctor, so let's be clear about that. But when doctors treat us in the ways in which we've talked about in this show, and they don't understand that we experience the same pain, that we age at the same rate, how do we advocate for ourselves? And, you know, is there the recommendation to try as much as possible to always have someone else to, you know, be almost like your medical uh, proxy, especially when you're very ill? to have another So there is no, I want to say there's no empirical data of like, this is the best practice for patients. This is not, this is truly just me talking based on the things that I've seen and what I believe, but it is for you to push the boundaries. I feel that a lot of patients, when they come into the hospital, it's like, I don't know what's going on. Whatever the doctor tells me, I follow. Instead of advocating for themselves and asking the questions, similar to what I said earlier with medical students where they're like, okay, well, you know, they taught us that when we breathe, we, we say black people have this much and white people have that much, but never question like, why is it that way? And so when you see a doctor or you come to a diagnosis, ask them why, what is happening, what I can do. And then I also strongly, strongly get a second opinion when it is something of extreme. Do not take that one doctor at face value We now live in a world where we have access to medical information. And so when they say it's X, go and look it up for yourself. Am I saying that online resource is the best of the best? No, I am not. But I'm saying you're coming in with some type of base understanding of what's going on. And so you can ask questions more poignantly when you have some type of understanding what you think may be going on. Mm. Again, if you go to another doctor or another physician at another hospital and they come to the same conclusion, perhaps there is some validity in what they are saying. But the one and done, I just, I personally don't feel comfortable with, especially on serious diagnosis such as cancer. Mm. But what about those cases? I I love all of, of what you had to say, but what about those cases where let's say you're in the emergency room or, and, um, you know, and, and with these days, you can't even take anybody in with you. What do you do when you're crying out for your doctor to pay attention to you? And, and they don't, uh, are, are we stuck or is there some follow-up we need to do after? Because in the moment you can't force the doctor to take care of you, but what would you suggest we do in those cases? That is a difficult question. Um, when you're in the moment, you are at the mercy of your care. But after the moment, there are strategies and there are mechanisms that you can report what's going on in the hospital, whether you thought that was malpractice, whether you just were treated in a negative way. Hospitals do review that information, patient quality care. They do review the information and they are judged somewhat based on that information. And so I think there just needs to be better understanding or visibility around those mechanisms of if you didn't like the way you were treated, here are some ways that you can report it. Mm. So, so then they would go to the patient quality care unit or where exactly would they go? Because often I know that hospitals will send out surveys, but mm-hmm. what if they don't send those out? So where, where should they start? 
Most likely it'll be on a website. Um, if you put in for the hospital system, put in reporting mechanisms, it'll either give you a phone number or an anonymous reporting via online. But that is the most steadfast way to get that information to who it needs to go to. Mm. Well, Dr. McCleary, um, I'm just curious, we, we, we're running out of time here. Is there any other thing that you feel like uh, we haven't covered that you want to say to our listening audience? Um, just to take an active role in your health, understand that the medical system is flawed, but medical education systems are doing their very best to try and mitigate these things. And also to do the work, right? Prior to anything, do the work yourself to make an informed decision or shared decision. Hmm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I thank you so much for your time today and helping us to really understand the three C's, uh, the clinical skill, the curriculum, and the cognition. I love how you uh, encapsulate um, the ways in which we can train our medical students and our medical faculty and doctors to just be more racially conscious. And I do hope that those of you who are listening will also understand uh, ways in which you can advocate for uh, others and advocate for yourself. We are so delighted to have had you today. If any of our listening audience want to know how to uh, connect with Dr. McCleary Gaddy, I invite you to go to sacredintelligence.com. There you will um, be able to learn as well about the programs that I offer on dismantling racism or ways in which you can engage in the process of dismantling racism. I want to invite you to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where Sam helps individuals walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. I want to just encourage each and every one of you that today, just make it an opportunity of where you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that are going to manifest your good, and to manifest the good of those around you. Know that we are all one and we exist because of one another. So make it a priority today to share love, hope, compassion, and peace. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, I'm the Reverend Dr. TLC. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? 
Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc.